Hello and welcome to episode number 479 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show an A321 has a bad tug. One of the world's largest airlines can't decide between the Boeing or the bus. And it's panda time with one cargo character. In the military this week, well there isn't none unless he wants to talk about it uh, for an hour. <laughs> But <laughs> we'll, we'll, leave it in, uh, we'll leave it in our guests' hands, shall we? <laughs> but we have uh, got some great stuff to talk about this week on the show. And also, we've got the all-important results of the quiz from last week to win those safety cards. Plus, uh, we have a new quiz this week as well on the show. And also, it's to caption this time, which is safe to say this week has been a very, very busy caption this picture. Anyway, welcome, uh, as always, to the person who uh, gets into the studio and does everything with a magic wand, is, of course, Matt Smith. Honestly, we're talking about magic wands, and then I'm not going to repeat what you said at the start of the show. I'm still in shock. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> really? <laughs> something, something about a tug. I, I don't feel well. I'm not going to lie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a, I, I do, I've got a funny colour. <laughs> I do like to make the uh, show openers uh, yeah, entertaining different, for, the, yeah. for, the, uh, for the listeners. Yeah. yeah, it's an unexpected turn. <laughs> so, lovely to see you again, Matt. I haven't seen you for. Um, oh, it must a, be at least half an, an hour. hour. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last, last I saw you, you were off to the doctors. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I, it was, it was lovely. Got, it got straight in. Got in on time. Saw mm. the doctors. It was uh, good, good. Got back in. That's award winning. Well done. Yes. <laughs> and joining us uh, this week from across the the lakes, the, the villages, the, the, the tundra, the fields, is, of course, the legend that is the connoisseur of all things BA and seat 1A. It's Neville Bounds. And there are a few lakes at the moment because it's been very <laughs> wet and damp, unlike uh, Grand Canaria, where I was last week, which was very nice at 29 degrees. A uh, bit of a shock when I flew back and then went to Aberdeen, where I it bet. was six degrees. So that was six. <laughs> That's yeah. quite the contrast. Um, but yes, uh, there's flying has taken place, so that can only mean one thing. Some content for Nev's terminal tantrums later. I look forward to those, Nev. I look forward to those. We're going to hear more about those later on in the show. Now, unfortunately... Armando can't be with us this evening, uh, but he has sent us a little kind of video to uh, to say hello to everyone. So, uh, Matt, press play. Hey everyone, I just wanted to start this week by expressing my own personal gratitude to all of our armed forces service members, all the government civilians and contractors that support our militaries, and most of especially the families of those service members, both present and past, for all of their contributions to our individual countries. On this upcoming Remembrance Day and Veterans Day, uh, please keep those who have put themselves in harm's way over hundreds of years in your thoughts. And remember that many of those service members, both active reserves and veterans, still serve our communities in many, many ways. Um, additionally, for this show, I wanted to thank friend of the show, Ruben Wells, um, for creating an educational video with John the Flying Reporter that highlights some possible limitations of some of the 
uh, non-certified situational awareness tools that we as pilots use more and more in the cockpit. Now these types of portable devices have positively revolutionized the way we fly, but like so many things in aviation, they are not without limitations. Now Ruben put his experience out there in the hopes that other people will learn from him. And of course the internet is the internet. And uh, there is a small population of pilots, maybe they're pilots, maybe they're not pilots, that paint themselves as infallible and, and perfect perhaps. But I guarantee you that everyone in aviation has had their share of learning moments. I know I still have learning moments every single flight that I fly. Um, so again, check that video out, learn something from it. There's a lot of reason that this content, or reason that this content is out there, including from our own show on the internet and YouTube and all these things, is for people to learn from each other. So um, either way, I hope you guys all enjoy the show and we'll see you all next week. Thank you, Armando, for that. It's always nice to hear from Armando, especially with a, a message like that as well, which is all very important as well, particularly at this time of uh, time of the year. Indeed, and the video he's referring to there, actually, we've uh, Nev has been uh, busy as always. We're going to be sharing that, talking about that as in in a sorry to frighten everyone instead of the military this week. Oh. <laughs> Nev, no need to look quite so glee. There, there's really no need. <laughs> No, he's, he's going to get his mariachi band out soon. It's some of lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Out yeah. With the sombrero. Yeah, Talking about bands, our special guest on the show this week. I did think to myself, should we well, should we go and hire a huge brass bra uh, band to, you know, introduce and play whilst we introduce our special guest for this week? Because he's not been on the show for a while, but he is a very special member uh, of the show and a special uh, family member of PTUK. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome back onto the show the one, the only, Captain Al. A very good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. And thank you for a wondrous introduction, Carlos. I do trust that the team are all very well. And before I move on, I'd like to extend a special welcome to a new and special viewer this evening. Uh, that's my, my friend, Chief Educator Steph and her kebab. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, the, we're off with the food already. That's, that's a good start. Chicken or donna, Al? I, I would imagine it's a donna, but Lovely. we shall have to wait and see for confirmation of the final order. <laughs> okay. Excellent news. Thank goodness. We're off. We're off to a good start. Off to a Excellent. great start. Honestly, we knew, we knew that. We knew that. How, 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 how are you, Al? How are things? I am very well. I've been exceptionally busy, and uh, that's why I've not been on the show for some time. Uh, we've managed to, it, managed to fit in the weekly podcast that is the Plane Safety Podcast, available on your podcatcher every week. But alas, <laughs> I've not had the opportunity to spend as much time with you fine gentlemen as I would have liked. Fair enough. <laughs> Okay, greatly appreciated. Oh, it's my good word. to see you, Al. It really is. It's been a long, long time. Bless you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll have, a, we'll have a catch up with you later, Al. But uh, you've been obviously busy flying, I suppose, and stuff. But you've had, you've had some pretty interesting adventures as well, haven't you, over the last few months? Absolutely. I had the privilege to go to Hamburg to take delivery of a brand new Airbus A321neo. Ooh. 
Ooh, how exciting. And I was wined and dined by the fantastic people that are Airbus. Ooh, and uh, it was a real privilege to to step foot on a brand new aeroplane. I bet. I bet. Is, is it like a car, Al? Does it smell? Has it got a, like a, is there a particular smell that a new aircraft has? It's got a new car slash new Airbus smell. Very much so. It's uh, it smells wondrous. You know that aroma <laughs> that you go into uh, an old style high street bakery and you get Ooh. that heady mix of fresh bread, Chelsea buns, scones. And it just makes your your mouth drool. Oof. Well, it was like that, basically. <laughs> Lovely. Okay. I mean, do they? Do they? Is there any? This is going to sound like a really daft question, I suppose. And I, I guess obviously the answer is no to this. But do, is there any kind of like nervousness or intrepidation when you are? I mean, I suppose you aren't the first person to fly because it, it will have had test flights and all that kind of thing by the time you get anywhere near one. I suppose. Uh, yes. Uh, normally, it's flown for about two hours. Oh. as part of the acceptance process. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I got to fly it for hour three and only its second landing. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> Hang on, what? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, take off that, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the, the ideal situation <laughs> is that there, there are an equal number of landings to take off. Mm. That's the ideal scenario. Yes, 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 okay. <laughs> yes, fair point. <laughs> Did you did you test the cooking cooking facilities on the aircraft, Al, or is that is that sort of not left to you to? Uh, Airbus very kindly provided us with copious amounts of food during the course of the day, mm -hmm. and even though the flight from Hamburg to London is a, a little over an hour, if that, uh, they provided catering for us. So, oh wow! So um, there there was no need to go and investigate. Uh, the cooking facilities it was all there and the, the the highlight of the day in an administrational sense is actually signing for the aeroplane they give oh. you a little delivery note and they say one ordered one supplied and you sign the box that says one delivered <laughs> wow so you actually get to sign that that paperwork al yes wow, wow. um so there's lots of processes that go on before prior to that during the course of the day uh, lots of lengthy legal processes um, which culminates in a process called transfer of title which is the official transfer of ownership of the aircraft from Airbus to the lease company and then on to the operating airline and there's representatives legal representatives um, from those parties um, also typically representatives of the the engine lessor and they're all there and bits of paper get signed only when the money's in the bank. Fair. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's not a surprise, is it? I suppose. Make sure they get paid first, eh? Absolutely. <laughs> and I I mean I felt pretty chuffed last week when I signed for the new forklift I'm getting at work. Oh, how exciting. It, you know, it's it's gonna pale in comparison to the the sum of money that <laughs> I'll sign for. Well, I mean, uh, well, it's not... value of 64 million US dollars. Good heavens, <laughs> right, okay. Could get a food forklift well, for that. <clears throat> there we go. Yep. And yeah. um, it, was, it was immaculate. I bet you it was. You could see your face in the reflection from the brake discs. It was that oh, good. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Love that. 
That's very, very cool, isn't it? Do you remember when we were on that A350-1000, Carlos, to Dubai, which was only three weeks old, yeah. uh, and even though that had done obviously a number of sectors, clearly, um, even that had the new car smell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I swear it's a special air freshener they put in that gives you that sort of, like, vibe. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the fascinating thing is you, you get on a brand-new aeroplane, at the manufacturer, you cannot find a single sticky fingerprint anywhere. You know, no one's had their head up against the windows. There's not a fingerprint on, you know, any of the TVs and the flight deck or anything like that. It's just immaculate. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Blimey. So nice. Love yeah. it. A very unique experience. Yeah. Yes, and, and Airbus were not unsurprisingly, very generous towards us. So they took us around the final assembly line mm. and we had the opportunity to go and see basically how the aircraft are constructed in various oh, wow. forms of construction. So you could go and stand inside aircraft that were still being bolted together and met quite a few of the, the people there working in Hamburg. And all right, it's a little bit of a PR exercise, uh, but I will say that the way that Airbus treat their employees is, uh, from the outside certainly appears to be phenomenal. And they genuinely work on the basis of that if they have a happy workforce, then they have a loyal workforce and they have a responsible workforce. And uh, that's what it's about. It's about responsible manufacturing. And they have numerous family days throughout the year. The staff canteen, um, is quite phenomenal. I've never been to a staff canteen that has sushi before. <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, and uh, uh, yeah, a, a really nice working environment uh, for the people there, and they have a very low turnover of staff. I bet. And uh, I think that probably speaks volumes. It does, absolutely. And so in in these sort of like unusual times, it's it's so nice to hear something like that where, you know, the, the employees are being well cared for. That's that's really good news, isn't it? Very much so, yeah. Indeed. Uh, right. right, let's say hello to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. I know they all tuned in to see Captain Al tonight. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh, Lee Davies saying hello to you. Mazus, local listener Mazus is in there. Hobby Time, hello to you as well. Aaron P, hello Lee Davies. We've got uh, Neville Bounds wielding his blue spanner of doom in there this evening as well. Uh, Armando's all, he was also in there, Armando. I don't know whether Armando's in there now, but uh, we have got uh, Bill. Hello to Bill. Uh, Richard is also in there. Richard E. Flagg, our wonderful donator of this week's prize, the safety cards, uh, is in there as well. Dirk S. Masher, hello to Masher, hello to you. Our main man, Uncle Micah, is also in there. John Jester, uh, Shuttlepod1, hello to you. Uh, we have got, scrolling down, make sure I don't miss anyone out. Jan is also in there. Hello to you, Jan. Good to see you in there as well. Um, we scroll through, make sure I don't miss anyone. Oh, APG Show has just uh, jumped in there Never as well. Never heard of them. Who are they? What are they again? Sorry. On a road trip, apparently. What's, what, what's APG that? Show on a road trip. What, what's that again? Remind me. It's, mm. it's one of those shows, isn't it? And uh, Dirk S., hello to you. Uh, thanks to everyone joining us tonight. Don't forget, if you're listening to us uh, on an audio show, we are on YouTube every Friday night, 7 o'clock, live with a show, uh, bringing you all the latest news from across the world, all about aviation. Don't forget to hit subscribe 
and hit the bell icon as well to be notified when Matt hits that live button on the screen. We'd love to have you in the chat room. Well, Nev, we've got loads of news to get through, haven't we? Uh, yes, we have. So um, why don't we uh, have a start with the commercial section of the show? And I can confirm it's chicken. And the first news story this week comes from theguardian.com, and it's a story that broke this week on the news. I think it covered most news feeds across the week, and it was all about that hostage situation that seemed to go on forever at uh, Hamburg Airport, which has ended with uh, a suspect being arrested. The hostage situation at Hamburg Airport has concluded this week with a suspect and his daughter exiting a car. Police said uh, it ended an 18-hour ordeal that had closed the northern Germany's busiest airport. The suspect was arrested without resistance. The child appeared not injured. And the police said on the social media platform X, or as we prefer to call it, Twitter. The incident began around 8pm local time on Saturday when an armed man drove through a security barrier and onto the tarmac, fired two shots in the air and threw two burning bottles outside the vehicle. At least two individuals, including a child, were in the car and police said the wife of the driver had placed an emergency call alerting police to the abduction of her child, a police spokesperson added. And police said on Saturday they believed uh, that a custody dispute is the background to this operation. The police spokesperson told German media on Sunday that we have good contact with the perpetrator. And the police said they were positive about the fact the discussions were continuing for so long, saying that absolutely a good sign. Local media reported that a total of 3,200 airline passengers were affected by delays due to the incident. That seemed to me, gents, like this incident seemed to go on for a long while, considering, you know, the, you know, the arms police that they have at airports and stuff. It just seemed to drag on for a, for a long time. What was the length of time in total, then? 18 hours. Yeah, nearly a whole day. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'd like to think that the police in in Hamburg and Germany are fairly, you know, on the ball. Where as it comes, well, I, I think it's one of those, isn't it? There's something like this has to be handled with, um, with well, for want of a better word, kid gloves. I suppose you can't just go, you know, sort of like guns blazing, um, especially in a hostage situation. Did you spend all day creating that pun. <laughs> It's been a it's been a slow day at work. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, absolutely, indeed. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a tricky one, isn't it? I I, I just don't um, I don't know. It's uh, we're never really going to know the uh, the full um, the full story on this, are we? Really, I think. Last, I, I didn't fully appreciate it until I read the story that um, uh, this armed fellow drove through a security barrier and then went uh, airside, obviously. So I didn't actually realise that. I just mm. assumed it was someone that had gone airside from inside the airport. Um, and I have to say um, that 
I don't want to alarm anybody at all, but when I was working for a company at Terminal 5 at Heathrow probably more than 10 years ago, it was we had to do the, the briefing and the health and safety and the induction courses and what have you. Uh, it really was drummed into us about making sure that those internal doors are kept shut when you've gone through them. Mm. And I've seen a number of incidents in the last three or four months, uh, certainly at T5, where people have just left it open and let it close on its own. Um, yeah. that, that's a, a risk, but uh, this is not what's happened here, obviously. No. Uh, this chap has driven straight through the barrier. Um, that's a different thing altogether, clearly. I have to say, though, my experience recently of going to the States to see Armando, it was that same scenario. We were right at the very far end of Terminal 3, which is where, where the... Uh, I mean, you couldn't have gone any further like to the end if you like it was literally the end of the corridor is where is where this uh, where the departure gate was for american airlines and i have to say the amount of people who as you say had like, opened the security gate gone and disappeared round to the right round the corner and i could have very easily have like sort of like gone through there and snuck off round there myself and then essentially end up airside well don't do that no 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 don't do that any, any thoughts al before we move on I think uh, Matt's hit the, the nail on the head, really. Clearly, um, the gentleman concerned has some issues going on. Mm. There's a child involved. I think the softly, softly approach for what was ultimately uh, a safer and sensible outcome. Yes, it was a long time, but we have to, to look at the the overall picture. And yes, a few thousand people got delayed, but ultimately it all ended well. Yeah. No, that's fair. That is fair. Now, Matt, you've got the next story, and it's about an airport that, funnily enough, I flew into last weekend on uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. Right. Sorry. You, you say that like that's a real thing, by the way. I'm just... It, I'm just... It's no, very, no, very real. No, it's not. It's a computer simulation game. You didn't <laughs> actually have any involvement in this particular airport. It's air traffic control or anything of those. It was a game. It was a simulator. <laughs> How dare you call it a game, my word. It's there'll be a pe- game! <laughs> there'll be people messaging in now. Emails will be flood- flooding in. It's basically Tetris on steroids. That's what it is. Anyway, we're heading over to Bristol. Oh, yeah, OK. All right, fair enough. Ooh. Move on, he says. Blimey. Uh, right, so bbc.co.uk. Did you thump is... it into the runway for true authenticity? <laughs> in, uh... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no. He's always been trying to. Uh, he's always been trying to mimic um, pips landings at seething. You know, like three, oh. ba- three bounces and like. <laughs> did you? Did your gas strut fail, Carlos? <laughs> <laughs> Bigger pardon. <laughs> Wouldn't recommend sharing a car with him. There's plenty of gas usually. Then anyway, the uh, headline: British Airport runway reopens after earlier lighting issue. A runway at Bristol Airport has reopened following an earlier technical issue. A spokesperson for the airport reported on X, formerly Twitter, that the oh, that, that, that still winds me up. Sorry, uh, the, that the problem with airfield lighting equipment had been fixed. Flights were delayed as a result of the earlier suspension. Customers flying from Bristol on Tuesday have been advised to contact their airline for the latest flight information. The uh, at about 5:40 a.m. GMT on Tuesday, a spokesperson for the airport said due to technical problems with the airfield lighting equipment, lighting operations had been suspended until 8 a.m. this morning. A um, 
a uh, the a live departure board on the airport's website showed that 14 flights were impacted by the issue um, now uh, again for, forgive my naivety uh, here and I'm going to defer to Al on this one as I'm pretty sure he'll certainly be able to give me a fairly clear uh, answer on this it, if you do have a lighting issue at uh, an airport I mean you know Bristol's not like a major major airport but it is still nevertheless a you know taking in you know sort of a320 size aircraft um, well it makes Norwich look like JFK right isn't it? so <laughs> fair enough yes, okay <laughs> that's not hard uh, let's be honest uh, but uh, in in that scenario there I mean <laughs> If it's light, I guess the, the 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 idiot in me, if you like, is unsure as to why, if there is daylight, why that would impact operations due to a lighting issue. But the problem here was it was night. It was dark. Yes, uh, 5.40 in the morning. Oh, right, okay. So therefore the lights were needed. Okay, you know, that's fair. Okay. Yeah, okay, that... Um... That, that yeah okay that's that's a is a five forty I mean was it, oh yes because it was um yeah it it, it was um, although in the summertime it is that is light at that time in the morning yeah indeed but then this this isn't when the issue took place mm. I suppose yeah so that's fair um, so although it is probably starting to get light that's a bit like saying if it was in the middle of the Atlantic it would be wet <laughs> <laughs> we've got to keep some relevancy here. Yes, quite indeed. Yes, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but as I say, so but if if for example the conditions were that it was daytime, um, it wouldn't have been an issue. No, okay. So it that's would, what you were getting to. Wasn't it? You wanted yeah. to know: do the lights are the lights needed in the day? And the answer is no. no. But they are definitely needed at night. Although they they do, I know certainly at some airports they do use the lighting system to indicate whether it's safe or not to enter from a taxiway onto the runway and things like that is that correct indeed yeah that's that's a, a small selection of fairly large international airports but yeah. uh, in this case it's really a requirement to have the lights on so you can see where the runway is Fair and enough. where the motorway isn't <laughs> yes that that would also do it uh, indeed yes thank you for for that <laughs> although anybody who's ever driven to bristol will realize that it's nowhere near a motorway but right okay <laughs> Fair it's enough. just another one of those great connected British airports. Lovely, yes. Nev is no nodding with no great. Motorway. Oh, really? No train. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, as Mizzou said, L London Norwich Airport. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you'll be pushing pushing your luck to say London Bristol certainly, but uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Al, you've got the next one, and uh, running with a tug here. Absolutely, yes. This is a uh, story about uh, a JetBlue A321 being damaged in a collision with a tug at San Francisco. Uh, this comes from the uh, aviation source and it says San Francisco International Airport officials have confirmed that a JetBlue flight taxiing for departure to Boston has been struck by a ground handling vehicle resulting in damage to its left engine assembly. JetBlue Airways flight Juliet Bravo Uniform 534 operated on an Airbus A321 registered November 947 Juliet Bravo. Oh, what a great 1980s TV series that was. <laughs> Had reportedly just completed a pushback manoeuvre from the gate at SFO when it was struck by a tug vehicle. Video footage of the event shows the ground handling vehicle lodged alongside the aircraft's left-hand engine pod 
with emergency vehicles in attendance. Uh, the video footage is courtesy of Aviation Breaking News. The A321 was subsequently taxied back to the gate where its passenger complement was disembarked. There have been no reported injuries as a result of the ground collision which occurred around 4pm local time on Monday, November the 6th. According to CBS News, the JetBlue subsequently, the, sorry, excuse me, JetBlue subsequently released a statement saying on Monday, November the 6th, JetBlue Flight 534 was involved in an incident with a pushback tractor just after pushing back from the gate. All customers have deplaned a horrible world. All customers have been disembarked and are being offered alternative flight options. The statement continued, no injuries were reported. Safety is JetBlue's first priority. Name an airline that doesn't have that as their first priority. Um, you can do that as your quiz. And uh, <laughs> we're reviewing the incident, they went on to say, and the aircraft has been taken out of service for an inspection. The aircraft involved in Monday's incident is a two. Well, it actually says in my notes a 2105 built Airbus. <laughs> so, uh, oh wow, we, we need Marty McFly to uh, <laughs> to come and deal with this one. But yeah, 20. Let's go with. Uh, well, we'll we'll rearrange the numbers and we'll either go with. Uh, oh, oh, it's all gone. It's all gone. <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, it's a relatively new aeroplane, as most Airbuses are, and I'm sure after a little bit of. Uh, T-cut, it was all fine. T-cut, yeah. <laughs> uh, safe to say, in, in the show, Al, over the last kind of two or three months, we've covered, Nev, what do you reckon, at least five or six, seven stories regarding tugs, stairs, stuff hitting air, you know, running into aircraft. Yes, the uh, uh, it's quite interesting, isn't it? The, the, the safe bit now is doing Mach 0.8 through the air, the more dangerous part is uh, vehicles and things around the aircraft. And if you look mm. at the position of this pushback tug relative to what's happened here, I mean, it's a long way back, isn't it? Was this the tug that was pushing the aircraft, I wonder? Um, Something ain't right, you, is it? Yeah. No. Have you guys discussed the difference between how ramps are uncontrolled in the US and controlled in most of Europe? Have we had this conversation? No, we haven't. No, tell us more. Okay, so so in let's just start with the United Kingdom. Uh, the aprons where aircraft park, almost without exception, are under the control of air traffic control. So there are little roadways that uh, air, uh, that tugs and ground vehicles can operate in, but ATC control the apron. Perversely, in the United States, the apron is a free for all. It's an outside of ATC control. They don't give two hula hoops what happens on that. They're not interested. It is just like a multi-story car park. You know, wow. There are, there, are, there are a semblance of rules, but everybody just goes about their own thing. And it's utter chaos. And that's why you'll um, find if you occasionally listen to sort of like YouTube, things of uh, incidents happening in the United States, ATC will ask an aircraft which gate are they parking at, and it's the onus is on, on, on the airline to provide the gate information. It's nothing to do with ATC. All they're interested in is which gate you're going to so that they can put you down the relevant taxiway. So, yeah, I'm afraid that the, uh, the aprons in the United States are a bit like the Wild West, and <laughs> um, uh, you just have to have, you know... 
owl-like vision to be able to see all around the aeroplane. But I mean, also, I, I, the only thing I would sort of say in the the other, I mean, I, I'm guessing from this particular scenario that I don't know. It's, it, perhaps nobody can answer me this question short of the um, CC watching the CCTV. But I mean, presumably, this aircraft, um, like the the tug was. I, I, I guess the tug was stationary, was it? Because I can't think of any other scenario why the the tug would get itself in that position. Um, because you, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm saying the um, it's too much to expect the Airbus pilot to have to be able to. I mean, it's, they're they're big, cumbersome machines at the end of the day, and they're not going to be. It's not like you've got wing mirrors to see what's <laughs> sort of like down the side or behind you or, or what like that. So surely. You know, there has to be an element of responsibility for um, ground handlers everybody, not to park things. Everybody. Not to park there things in stupid places. By everybody. Yeah. And that's, that's the basic yeah. nuts and bolts of it. So on the 321, uh, you can see all the way down to your wingtip from the, the flight deck. Okay. So when I'm training, I am forever encouraging my trainees to have an exceedingly good look around the aeroplane before you decide to move it. Right. Otherwise, these sorts of things can happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's Simple fair. as that. Simple as that, yeah. No, fair. Okay. Good to is know. There, is, there, is there a blame a portion blame to who's at fault here then, Al, when these situations, you know, when blame is set, you know, how do proceedings go? Is, is someone claiming on insurance? Is it a, you know you done this and that's a difficult one in this context because this happened at san francisco and i'm going to speculate that JetBlue have their own employees doing the pushback at sfo because it's quite a large uh base for them so therefore it's their own company employees um in a lot of airports and in operations, there'll be a third-party handling company, you know, Swissport, Menzies, you know, I could list numerous ones. So in those particular cases, yes, the, you know, I mean, where there's a blame, there's a claim. We know that. Yeah. Uh, and um, let's be honest, if you embed a tug in an aircraft engine, it's not going to be 50 quid and pennies to get it sorted. So, right. you know, that the, 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 there are big amounts of money involved um you know in these repairs so in this particular case um i'm always cautious about the word blame in the context of aviation because nobody sets out ordinarily to go and drive their airplane into a tug or indeed no. their tug into an airplane mm. so you've got to separate an accident a mistake from you know negligence and uh, you know just misbehavior so if it was a genuine accident then i would imagine that those involved would be just subject to some retraining and some awareness mm. if there was and i love this word some tomfoolery taking place then you might look at whether that's uh you know gross misconduct and whether that's a, an appropriate uh, behavior for professionals working in the airline industry um, and then you would look to see whether you know disciplinary action was required um, but usually education is the best way rather than 
blame and a stick. I think also, Al, I think it's acknowledged uh, everywhere that the ramp is an extremely dangerous place, whatever operations going on there, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, it's noisy. Um, there's all sorts of things going on. It's trip hazard city. Um, you'll seldom find uh, an experienced airline pilot who's not tripped over something on the ramp at some point in their career. And, you know, there's tugs, catering vehicles, ambulifts, passenger buses, crew buses, uh, you know, a random Uber Eats delivery driver who's, you know, got lost. These are all hazards on the ramp. Wow. Wow. How many pilots are having Deliveroo on the ramp? Al. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's it. But I bet you've been tempted to at one point in time, Al. So there is a story many, many years ago that predates uh, 9-11 where airport security was less rigorous. And uh, I think they're still in operation, actually, uh, Pizza Hut. Um, but I did order six pizzas for delivery to Manchester Airport. Um, and the, the guy just basically passed them through the fence for me. Wow, OK. <laughs> I love that. And, and uh, as Neville testified, the McDonald's on the Spanish side of the Gibraltar border is within touching distance. Oh, is it, it certainly is. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> now, Nev, you've got the next story, and uh, it's a story that I think most of us in the group pretty much followed quite intently this week in regards to the pictures that came with it as well. It's more damage on an A321, this time on a Titan A321neo, and it comes to us from flightradar24.com. Uh, and it says that in a newly released special bulletin, the UK's Air Accident Investigation Branch said that damage to a Titan Airways A321neo's windows was the result of heat generated by high-powered film lamps used during a project the day prior to the incident flight. What? The high-powered lamps led to deformation of the window pane and melting of the window seal. Uh, the day after the film shoot, Golf Oscar Alpha Tango Whiskey was scheduled to position from London to Orlando, Orlando with only crew on board. Uh, the flight departed London's Stansted Airport at uh, 15 minutes past 12 local time. Shortly after passing 10,000 feet, the loadmaster on board was walking through the cabin and noting a, noted a dramatic increase in cabin noise. They located the source of the noise as a dislodged window pane aft of the overwing exit. After informing the pilots, the aircraft stopped climbing, having reached a maximum altitude of 14,500 feet, and the crew prepared for a return to Stansted. The aircraft remained properly pressurised throughout the flight. Uh, the aircraft landed back at Stansted after 36 minutes in the air, vacating the runway without assistance. Uh, Post-flight inspection revealed damage to the three windows on the left side of the aircraft aft of the overwing exit. Only the damage to one of the windows was visible during the flight, but the post-flight inspection revealed two missing window panes and a damaged third window pane as well. A fourth window pane was uh, noticed uh, protrude, uh, protruding from the surface of the fuselage. Uh, 
Upon removal of the sidewall, investigators noted melted foam liners on the affected windows. Damage to the, leading, so the left leading edge of the horizontal stabiliser was noted as well. Investigators found acrylic in the puncture consistent with a window pane. Uh, the investigation continues as the AAIB and French BEA will work to determine the precise series of events that led to the damaged areas of the windows and how to safely mitigate risks due to high-powered lights in the future. This incident, however, is not the first time a window has been melted by high-powered film lighting. Oh dear. Wow, okay. Oh dear, oh dear. So they weren't those nice... Uh, uh, low temperature LED lamps that we all like using these days. These were the big stuff that they use on, on big film sets. That must have generated major heat. They do. Now, I'm, I'm confused here. Forgive, forgive my naivety here. So, that, is this picture uh, that. So, uh, hang on, let me just see if I can find this picture again. Sorry to, to go now. Now, the, are these the. This picture here, are these the lights in question? Or is this just an example or a or a setup? Because I think those are the lights in question, yeah. actually, because that is the Titan uh, A321 Neo, by the looks of it. Yeah. But they look to me like they're the LED type of They lights. do. Um, but I'm just wondering what's, whether some of these are the, um, the tungsten ones or, or LED. Yeah. But, uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, you've got to be putting out a lot of temperature um to oh, yeah. do that kind of damage i would have thought now of course um under normal circumstances the aircraft is in the air in very cold temperatures mm. uh, and not in very hot temperatures unless it's on the ground for maintenance for a significant period of time but, yeah. um yeah that's um that's suboptimal i would have to indeed. say indeed uh, any thoughts on this al Yes, don't tumble dry your synthetics and sensitives. Um, <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bless you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, this this is, you know, the sort of thing that uh, the aircraft designers won't have considered as part of the design no. spec. You know, let's, you know, shove a load of hot lamps near the aeroplane and uh, make it immune to heat. Um, you know, the... The windows will be subject to quite a lot of heat in, in hot countries, um, but this would have been very targeted heat. Mm. Um, quite focused and, almost, yeah. Yeah, and obviously we can deliberate as to whether they're LED, tungsten, um, but at the end of the day, quite clearly, the surface of the aircraft got hot enough for the components within the window to melt. So whatever the lights were made of is is kind of secondary really to what the damage that was done it's also fortunate as well that the the loadmaster uh, was part of the the crew there and went back to to notice this because if this had been a normal passenger operation that would have been noticed immediately and someone hopefully would have mentioned to the cabin crew that there's some abnormality here mm. yes um uh, undoubtedly it would have caused a degree of excitement in the cabin uh, for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> Enthusiasm is another word. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, it's a fun, it's a it's a funny one, isn't it? As you say, and at the end of the day, uh, there is no there. You know, you, aircraft manufacturers as nervous uh, as um, Al is saying there. Uh, just just you know, they they won't have tested for this, will they? At the end of the day, 
No, and as Nev will testify, having worked in the audiovisual world for many, many years, that the riggers who will have put the lights up won't have given two hoots about whether it was going to melt the aeroplane or not. They just wanted the right lighting. Yeah. And there will have been a lighting director there who will have been saying, you know, give me more light, lovies, come on, <laughs> darlings, we need, we need more light. As your master of none, uh, or cat ridiculous wits, I should say, in the chat room is, uh, is saying, Nev, you might know more about this, it says cob LEDs generate quite a bit of heat and actually require heat sinks for operation, so these may have been cob lights. That's a good point, actually. Yes, I hadn't thought about I that. I didn't realise yeah. that. That's yeah, chip right. on board. Yes. Wow. Which is not the same as having chips on board, which is obviously when you deliver a straight no. <laughs> Yes, indeed. We're back to McDonald's again, aren't we? Uh, it was clearly a pain in the glass. Oh, oh dear. Bill. Caption this is coming up oh, soon. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah, Bill. Wait for it, wait for it. Wait for <laughs> it. Yeah. Interesting, though, Al. Uh, I noticed that the, the BEA are involved, which is the French Air Investigation Authority, rather than the manufacturers. That's unusual, isn't it? Uh, is it? No. So they, they will be involved because it's a French aircraft in the same way as the NTSB are involved if it's a Boeing. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Otherwise, you'd have the manufacturer investigating their own shortcomings. Yes, and that that would never do, would it? That's no, no I think we've seen that play out with can, Boeing in the can, last few years. Can you imagine? Yes, marking <laughs> one's own homework. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, next story uh, comes to us from Aerotime.aero, and uh, FedEx pilots offered a bumper deal if they quit for U.S. regional airline. Yeah. A memo sent by FedEx's Vice President Pat Dementos uh, to the parcel delivery company's pilots has encouraged them to consider moving to an American Airlines regional carrier. According to the message posted online by at John NYC, Demento cites that FedEx is significantly overstaffed. What a word. And that cargo air demand re remains stubbornly at levels similar to 2019. However... Well, that's no great surprise, really, is it? Because 2019 was a normal year, and then there was a period of time after 2019 where air cargo was abnormally high. So... Why is FedEx expecting cargo levels to be anything different than they would have been pre-COVID? No idea. Someone's dropped the ball there, haven't they? So, however, uh, it says here that FedEx may have more pilots than is needed. I mean, what happened to this pilot shortage? You know, I thought we were supposed to have a pilot shortage. Uh, then the passenger industry is not facing the same issue. Carriers continue to hire pilots at a pace we haven't seen in recent history with no apparent end in sight. The memo then sets out how FedEx pilots can take uh, an opportunity to join American Airlines regional carrier PSA Airlines. According to the executive scheme uh, introduced by American, offers FedEx pilots, hello Alfie, an expedited interview process directly into the captain's seat. Included in the deal is a $250,000 blimey, signing on bonus and a direct path for flying for American. 
While understand, I understand this is not something that will appeal to every pilot, he said, for those of you who are frustrated with current flying hours, career progression, or have just be, seen, been on the fence about available options, you may consider this unique opportunity enough of an incentive to make the move, Demento wrote. A website for FedEx pilots to start the transition to American has also been set up. They said, we have no doubt that FedEx will continue to navigate the turbulent market conditions are inherent in this business and will remain a great place to work for pilots and in others long term that said he said i certainly understand that some of you decide that your particular circumstances are leading to you to pursue opportunities elsewhere demento concluded now al two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is um not bad for signing on bonus it isn't um and what we need to look at here is the the big picture with regards to historically how much the freight dogs have been paid which in many respects they've had better t's and c's uh than the passenger carriers so the 250,000 us dollars is is a little sweetener um but i suspect that uh, fedex are also receiving some financial input from PSA uh, to help them source for their pilot shortage. It is, as is often the case, all of the people just in the wrong places. Mm. My man, Micah, in the chat room says, have you heard uh, the rumours about Amazon trying to buy out FedEx? Really? Mm. There will be some consolidation within the freight set up over the next few years because uh during obviously the covid years globally freight was on a massive massive high and now it's come down to you know pre-covid normality uh, one of the big factors in that is that during covid there were very few passenger flights and therefore very few opportunities to put cargo on passenger flights now passenger flights are back to sort of pre-COVID levels, all of that underfloor cargo capacity that the passenger airlines have is all being used up, thereby meaning less cargo flights required. And um, that's that's going to put a bit of a strain on some of the, the, the large logistics companies. And I have no doubt that there will be some consolidation as indeed there has been, um, you know, sort of in the past, and I think there probably will be. It won't be great for uh, the guys flying for the likes of UPS, FedEx, DHL, mm. etc., and uh, the various franchises and spin-offs of that. Um, and, you know, I hope that it all works out satisfactory for them, and at least in this particular case, uh, FedEx have created a pathway to allow people to carry on flying mm. um, but we shall have to watch this space but there's certainly a, a, a massive downturn in cargo demand you, you've been in the industry for 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 a long while now alan obviously flying within europe and stuff is there a massive difference between the salaries of of all the different airlines within europe is there a great big difference between sort of pilot salaries um if you take pilots who fly the same aircraft type you will find broadly speaking there's not a huge disparity from airline to airline 
um, in the same geographical area. What you will find is that if, say, for example, someone flies a Boeing 777 and someone flies um, an Embraer 195 or a Dash 8, there will be a, a differential in those salaries. Um, and that's always been the case and always will be. Uh, at the end of the day, there is an experienced pilot shortage and airlines across the world are doing their best to try to mitigate themselves being caught with too few pilots. And this is definitely happening in the States. There is a shortage of captains and therefore flights are having to be grounded because there is no captain to fly that aircraft. And we've looked a little bit um, in the past at some airlines who are sort of having to effectively downsize because of crew shortage. So I'm not surprised that PSA are very, very keen to snap up some experienced FedEx FOs to put them right in, excuse me, to put them straight into the left-hand seat. Hmm. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Sticking with you, Al, for the next story. And it's the yes. Airbus one. It is. So uh, Airbus kicks off extra performance wing flight test program. A modified Cessna Citation 7 business jet uh, to be used as a flying test pad for a novel wing design has taken off for the first time. Airbus up next, the airframer's innovation arm announced. Departing Toulouse Airport on November the 6th, the aircraft marked the beginning of the first phase in the test campaign. The Citation, uh, sorry, it's the Citation 7, yeah, at the centre of the Extra Performance Wing Demonstration Programme will eventually be transformed into an uncrewed aircraft. Uh -oh. The wing will be flight tested remotely. For the first phase, antennas and probes to be used with a remote control system were installed in Toulouse. Onboard pilots are assessing the system. The new wing will be put in place for the second phase. A LADAR involving two lasers will be installed simultaneously in the cockpit, making the system able to anticipate turbulence 0.5 to 1 second ahead and move the control surfaces accordingly. At the root of the wingtip extension, a semi-aerolastic hinge is triggered in cases of strong turbulence. That hinge frees the wingtip to flap and alleviates the loads induced in the wing structure by that turbulence. The need for reinforcements is eliminated, thus making the wing lighter than a conventional design. The demonstration wing's trailing edge will be fitted with three flaps, each with four multifunctional trailing edges, or tabs, which can change position very fast. Like a bird's wing, the demonstrator's wing will adapt to conditions, altitude, speed, and aircraft weight. The design of the extra performance wing combines the reduced drag of a high aspect ratio wing with a greater efficiency of an adaptive profile. Up next, engineers are aiming for a 5 to 10% improvement in fuel consumption. So I find that very interesting. And I watched something a few years back about Airbus engineers looking at birds and how they fly. They were looking at birds of prey 
and also geese who um, form, as we see, especially this time of year, in big V formations. Mm. And they were looking at uh, that aspect as well. So um, new wings are not something that come about very often. No, no. Now, uh, again, forgive my naivety here, that, that there were, you, were, you were saying it was a Cessna, was it, that, that, that this experiment is taking place with? Yeah, so a citation, a small little business jet. Yeah, right. So, so again, and th and this is this is my naivety on this one. So I do apologise. But what is their link to Airbus? Probably very little. It's, I suspect that Airbus just need a relatively small aeroplane to to basically as a test bed for right. for the wing design. So rather than go and build a small aeroplane and design it and certify it. Um, I suspect they've just gone and bought a Cessna Citation and will use it. Okay. Okay. But but no, like uh, like a like official trading deal or you know like sort of. Not that I'm aware of, and this article doesn't lead me to believe that Cessna are involved in in any way. In this. With, yeah. Okay. I think this is really interesting, Al, because presumably most flight control services and therefore the onboard computer systems of most flyby-wire fly-by-wire aircraft um, respond to the turbulent conditions but what they're saying here is uh, there's uh, LIDAR laser technology which will anticipate the turbulence. Oh, that, I yeah so so any sort of turbulence alleviation on aircraft at the moment is reactionary so in other words it responds to what is happening and uh, what this looks to be is is basically predictive and therefore to mitigate it before it actually happens. A bit like predictive wind shear? Very much so, yes. And what, I, what on first reading of this, what they're attempting to do is to minimise the amount of control surface deflection because any time you deflect a control surface, it creates drag, and therefore that's extra fuel burn. So, in other words, it's a bit like driving down the motorway, and if you're reading the traffic ahead, you can make changes to how you drive the car based on what you predict is going to happen ahead. So rather than waiting for the car in front of you to brake, if you look three or four cars ahead and you see them start to break, then you can ease off the accelerator, thereby not having to break when the guy in front of you breaks. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. this is the United Kingdom, though, and that, that never happens. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We saw some prime examples of fabulous driving only this afternoon didn't we carlos oh yes <laughs> every day every day indeed. is a learning day indeed nev you've got the next story and um, we're heading over to uh well to the emirates for this one yeah well we're, we're talking about freight ops earlier on uh and uh, this is on uh, aerotime.aero and it says that uh, emirates is torn between continuing with boeing freighters or investing in an airbus model as the airline looks to double its existing capacity over the next decade. According to Bloomberg, the United Arab Emirates flag carrier is weighing up the pros and cons of the Boeing 777-8 freighter and the Airbus A350F. Uh, Emirates uh, Divisional Senior Vice President, 
uh, Nabil Sultan, spoke to the news outlet at an industry conference in Singapore where he indicated a decision may not be made for another four years. Sultan said that the carrier will evaluate, hopefully by 2027, whether we require a different mix to what we have already. Further capacity expansion will be achieved through converting some of the fleet's Boeing 777-300ERs from commercial planes into cargo aircraft. Sultan also indicated that the Emirates Sky Cargo was seeing a rise in demand for its services following the COVID-19 pandemic. We're probably at a much more stable stage now, Sultan told Bloomberg News. We've passed the bottoming out and we are seeing consistent growth. Well, according to chaviation.com, Emirates is currently waiting to increase its fleet of 11 777-200s with the, the, the delivery of five more. In May 2023, uh, Emirates also announced the arrival of two new wet lease Boeing 747-Fs. Uh, in total, Emirates cargo division is expecting 15 more freighters to boost its fleet uh, from announced orders and its freighter conversion program. Interesting. It is. I, I must admit, I didn't. I, I mean, I knew that that, as you say, like most airlines, and and I think uh, Al was alluding to it earlier i mean now that you know the passenger aircraft are busy doing their thing again um on a regular basis that the, the the desire or need if you like for um uh, like specific freight is not as uh, not what it once was i didn't realize that emirates had cargo only aircraft i guess i kind of foolishly assumed that you know any cargo that they did was put you know in the hold of aircraft that that were already like carrying passengers and things like that one word horses right ah uh, yes good point race horses yeah yeah okay highly valuable race horses that yeah. you can't put into a cargo hold of a passenger aircraft true amongst true. other things of course but if you think about how important horse racing is to the UAE and to the owners of Emirates, that is a good indicator of the sort of cargo that would go on cargo-only aircraft. Okay. Okie dokie. Yeah. Amongst other things, of course. But yeah. yes. Indeed. Yeah, quite surprised they got some uh, from the Seven Fours freighters back in. But yeah, Emirates have been doing cheap, cargo aren't they? for cheap, a number of years. Who wants one? So. Uh, you know. <laughs> Oh, go on, Al. There's plenty of them about. That's what you're going to say. Well, there's less now because more people are drinking Coca-Cola, aren't they? So, I mean, yeah, oh, there's yes. a big demand for aluminium. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> now, next story. This is um, good news for you, Nev. You know, you've got that blank wall behind you there. Um, Flight Globalist comes from Collector's... And this is up. This story's upset quite a number of people as well. Uh, collectors offered parts of a 747-400, which carried the BOAC Heritage livery. Three years after BA withdrew its last 747s from service, the aircraft which bore the BOAC Heritage livery is being dismantled, and its parts are being offered to collectors. The aircraft. Golf Bravo Yankee Golf Charlie was the first of three 747s along with an A320 to be painted in retro schemes to mark BA's 100th anniversary. 
It emerged in 2019, carrying the colours of BOAC, the airline which subsequently merged with British European Airways to form the flag carrier. When the aircraft was withdrawn from service in 2020, as the pandemic severely disrupted long-haul travel, it was delivered to aircraft dismantling specialist E-Cube in St. Athens. Uh, it had originally been considered for preservation and public access, says the UK-based repurposing company Plane Reclaimers. Following a full evaluation, including the aircraft's various stakeholders, the limitations of moving the aircraft to a safe non-airside location had made this ambition unattainable, it said. The decision was made to give aviation enthusiasts around the world the opportunity to keep a piece of aviation history. As a result, parts of the aircraft, including window cuts, cabin fittings, have been made available from the 1st of November this month on the Plane Reclaimers website. The company says it will ensure certain components are reused by sectors of the industry for such functioning as training. Yeah, so I did see this when this news broke initially a few weeks back that they were going to be dismantling, well, a few months ago, they were going to be dismantling this aircraft. It, it was not met with um, happy faces or open arms, I think is the, the words here. And I, I think the guys over at Plane Reclaim has got quite the scathing on social media when it was. Yeah, you were uh, saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah they the problem got. Problem is, you see, it would be nice to see this up at uh, East Fortune, wouldn't it? Where you and I were uh, the other month. But of course, uh, flying um, a seven four into East Fortune is probably a non-runner with that runway. So they would have to get it up to. Uh, uh, Leith docks or something like that, and and transport the whole thing by by barge. Um, mm. But but then you know, I mean, at least East Fortune do have a lot of space for it, as we saw um, yeah. there. But then you need a hangar for it, and you need the you know the the, the ongoing maintenance and uh, of the whole thing as well. But it's a great shame it's been uh, it's been dismantled. Yeah. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. I know that um, there was they they did sell out of a few items actually pretty much as soon as they went live on it on the website you know various different pieces of the aircraft it is a you know it's a popular air, airframe especially as it was covered in the BOAC livery but I should be keeping yeah. a keen eye on your studio uh, Carlos to see uh, what <laughs> yeah. items turn up there. <laughs> I don't think my life would be worth living if I ordered another piece of an aircraft to go in here, Nev. Well, uh, I do sometimes think there is a space just there on that wall. <laughs> uh, Richard Adams is saying, I bet there'll be an anonymous van on its way to Bungie before long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Van? Very, very true. I need a truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Al, I expect you're already on the website now. I can see you on the uh, website there, ordering your piece of uh, this aircraft. Do, do they do a 747 toilet seat? <laughs> no, that's, that's coming up soon. We'll, we'll come back to that later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, right. Fair enough. <laughs> Actually, st sticking with you, Al, you've got the next one. Yeah, I was just wondering, why, why are people so sort of passionate about the jumbo? I mean, it's... It's God. a dinosaur. What, 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 what's the... <laughs> oh, here we go. Get that can out of worms. Well, yeah, what, what, what's, what's the, the big deal about it? Well, you know, if you cut me down the middle, it, it would say Airbus. Uh, you know that. But when okay. it comes to 
the 74. Um, obviously, it was the aircraft that made transatlantic and very long distances affordable for the masses, I would say. That, that probably in the DC-10 and the Tristar, I suppose. Oh. Uh, you know, but um, I think it would have been nice, especially as it was in the BOAC livery, to have somehow found somewhere to, to keep it intact. That was all I was going to say. I, I, I do tend to agree um, in so much as, you know, it would have made some fantastic sort of restaurant or nightclub or laser quest venue. Um, but ultimately, it's worth quite a lot of money on its, on its scrap value. And um, that's where it's going to end up, isn't it? It's going to be yeah. cans. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you, you've flown on the 7.4 as a passenger, I'm assuming, Nev. Yes, uh, yeah. a few times. Yes, uh, Air New yeah. Zealand and uh, and BA. And yeah. um, did you find Egypt it a pleasurable actually. experience? Yes, I did. I mean, uh, upstairs in Air New Zealand uh, was nice. Um, in the economy section of BA's one and uh, LL's one, n not so good. Um, uh, high passenger density was the order of the day with those <laughs> seating configurations um, but um, I think probably with obviously I mean the only aircraft flying now with four engines and even those are very rare uh, now the A340 because of the incredible uh, reliability and fuel efficiency of the twin engine aircraft especially over long distances um, and, and the fuel burn associated with it it's just you know the, the 74 just isn't the right aircraft anymore is it so, okay. so given a choice between flying on the 380 or the jumbo which would you take oh probably the 380 sorry I was yeah I should, should have remembered that as a four engine aircraft yes definitely on the grounds that it is so quiet uh, whereas exactly. the 74 wasn't particularly very good. Excellent. We're agreed. Coke-cans it is. <laughs> Coke-cans, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got some good news, Al, haven't you, for your, for your Airbus lovers out there? Absolutely, yes. On to the next story, then, which comes from uh, aerotime.aero. And uh, this is the fact that Airbus are ecstatic as Eva Air confirms an order for 18 A350-1000s and 15 A321neos. Taiwanese carrier Eva Air has announced the acquisition of uh, the aforementioned aircraft, 18 Airbus A350-1000s and 15 321neos, according to Bloomberg. The 10.1 billion US dollar deal was confirmed in a filing on the Taiwanese Stock Exchange on November the 7th. Plane maker Airbus celebrated the announcement with a post on X, formerly known as Twitter, so excited that hashtag Eva Air has chosen the hashtag 350-1000, our hashtag long-range leader, to modernise its long-haul fleet. Adding to this news, the airline has also announced that it will order the hashtag A321neo for its regional routes. The Airbus A350-1000 can accommodate between 350 and 410 passengers and is powered by two Rolls-Royce Trent 
XWB-97 turbofans. The A350 airframe is built with carbon fiber, reinforced plastic, and other advanced materials and can travel ultra-long range operations up to 8,700 nautical miles. As confirmed by Airbus, the new A350-1000 will modernize EVA Air's long-haul fleet and eventually replace its older aircraft. The order with Airbus, excuse me, the order with Airbus is a coup for the plane maker with EVA Air's current long-haul fleet including 32 active Boeing 777-300ERs. The purchase also includes 15321neos the longest member of Airbus's renowned 321 family aircraft, which will be used for regional operations. In March 2023, Eva Air purchased five Boeing 787-9 Dream Records. Dreamliners, sorry. Dream Records. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 was a, that was clearly a... Yeah. <laughs> Love that. So um, Eva Air have been a very long-standing Boeing customer, um, as have KLM. And, um, of course, they and uh, Transavia, part of the whole KLM family, uh, are all progressing on to, to Airbus, which is great news for European manufacturing, uh, great news for my colleagues over at over the border, not far away from here, um, where they assemble the wings. And obviously great news for uh, Hamburg, Toulouse, um, Alabama and China who manufacture the aircraft for Airbus. But we must also kind of consider the fact that this is a global manufacturing chain. So there are probably very few large countries in the world that aren't supplier of parts to build Airbuses. So it's not an all loss for the United States with um, not going to Boeing for the, the major part of the order. Boeing. However, I would imagine the Boeing executives are somewhat perturbed by these mainstay airlines choosing Airbus over Boeing. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. And so. finally, Matt, you've got, um, well, all I can say is, Nick found a rather interesting story for the last one this week. <laughs> Okie dokie. Uh, so we're, we're sort of going back into the world of, um, well, let, let's say uh, uh, cargo, I guess, uh, for want of a better word here. It's uh, insider.com is the website. And the headline is how FedEx is shipping three giant pandas to China, a 19-hour flight, hundreds of pounds of bamboo toys and biscuits. The National Zoo's three giant pandas were shipped to China on Wednesday via FedEx. FedEx transports the pandas in large crates that are filled with bamboo, toys and biscuits. The pandas were also uh, exposed to crates in advance so that they would be comfortable in them. Three giant pandas departed the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday and are heading for China. So how exactly does one transport a 200-pound pandas 
panda, let alone three of them via FedEx. Of course, very carefully indeed. Uh, It's an incredibly complex endeavour. Brandy Smith, director of the National Zoo, uh, told Washington Post last month, there's zero zero margin for error. Pandas bear in, uh, panda bears in US zoos have been on loan from China as a matter of panda diplomacy. But as those leases are running out and not getting renewed, the bears are leaving. As of this week, only four pandas remain in the US at Zoo Atlanta at least until their lease expires next year. The National Zoo's pandas, uh, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce those names, and their cub were picked up by FedEx on Wednesday morning, but the transport processes start well before then. Byron Amaral, the zoo's senior creator for told the post last month the pandas would be shipped in three white steel and plexiglass transport containers a couple of the containers arrived at the zoo weeks before the departure date so pandas could get used to them Uh, we get transport containers in advance of the shipment and we actually train the pandas to go in them he said adding the pandas are given treats when they're inside the containers so that they're comfortable in the spaces before the day of shipment each panda was also being sent off with its own massive carry-on uh, Admiral was uh, Admiral was uh, told the post the container was filled with around 300 pounds of bamboo water vegetables and biscuits on departure day the pandas were loaded into the large crates with hundreds of pounds of bamboo and some of their favorite toys the favorite spot incorrectly uh, the crates were then picked up with forklifts and loaded into the FedEx trucks covered with pictures of of pandas <laughs> seems a bit strange uh, the trucks were then carry uh, then carried the pan- pandas to Dulles Airport uh, in Virginia where they were uh, loaded onto a specially outfitted FedEx cargo plane a massive Boeing 777 dubbed the Panda Express shortly before 1 p.m. the plane which features an image of a giant panda on <laughs> took off for the 19-hour journey to China where they're heading uh, to the Panda Reserve just outside Chengdu. Uh, the story goes on, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Part of me is quite sad that le- these leases aren't being... Um, these leases aren't being renewed, really. I mean, you, you'd have thought that they'd want to keep pandas in Bet. these various do- zoos, really. No? Yeah, I think... I suppose yeah, I they, it, it depends if you if you can you know rent a chipmunk for cheaper then maybe you know chipmunks bring you in you know more revenue than a panda um true i mean I, I don't know the animal dynamics of a zoo particularly well but you know it's supply and demand isn't it indeed yeah, that, that is true. just uh, the cargo ops just just pandering to the uh <laughs> oh my needs. have you have you ever flown any uh any interesting animals before al apart from obviously the flights to ibiza Uh, well yeah exactly um dogs cats fish and lobsters oh lobsters yes scottish lobsters going down to the michelin starred restaurants in barcelona oh because you have to nice. be fair, careful then on touchdown. You don't want to slosh the water too much. Yeah. Oh, and day-old chickens. D- right, okay. <laughs> don't or chicks. You, or chicks. I don't expect you made much money out of that flight, Tal. It's all a bit cheap. 
<laughs> am, am I the only one who's not going to lower themselves with <laughs> rubbish jokes and puns I, tonight? I, I just tonight? have no words. Oh, dear. Nev's trying not to laugh. Bless him. <laughs> no, I don't think he is. I, I just don't think he is. <laughs> I'm finding it difficult. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> indeed, anyway, indeed. yes. Now on to the next part of the show. Nev, what is coming up next? Well, this is a very interesting piece of video coming up next, and I'm looking forward to uh, Al's comments on it at the end. Um, our good friend Reuben Wells had been out flying, and a couple of weeks later, he received an email from the CAA. Was it to congratulate him on his flying, I wonder? In actually, in fact, I received an email from my local county council the other day which said, parking, fine. So I guess they must have been happy with me <laughs> as well. But um, seriously, though, um, with the help of John Hunt, who's the flying reporter, uh, Reuben took a flight with John to discuss what happened next, and I think you'll find the next 20 minutes or so quite fascinating. Meet Reuben. Hello. Reuben is a private pilot with 900 hours in his logbook. He prides himself on a professional approach to his flying. But a few weeks ago, he bussed Class A controlled airspace south of London when his GPS gave erroneous readings. He'd been flying from Fair Oaks in England to Caen in France. So it's probably almost two weeks after I got back from the trip to France and someone else in the group actually sent uh, me an email saying I think this was your flight. It was an email from the CAA basically saying that the aircraft had uh, been uh, seen infringing the controlled airspace um, just to the south of uh, Fair Oaks. And I suspect your heart sunk, did it? Yeah, I got a complete knot in my uh, stomach at this point, um, initially thinking there must be a mistake. Reuben had been using his Sky Echo electronic conspicuity device to display his GPS position on his SkyDemon moving map software. The software would normally warn him if he's coming close to infringing controlled airspace, but this time it didn't. Today we're going to fly the same route that Reuben flew that day to take a look at the complexity of the airspace in question. We've also got three electronic conspicuity devices on board and switched on, connected to moving maps, and we're going to see if we can replicate the problem. Without infringing controlled airspace this time. <laughs> yeah, without, without infringing. Hey, bro. Reuben's flight routed through some of the most complex airspace structures in Britain, with six changes in the base of controlled airspace in just 18 miles, a mitigating factor perhaps. The incorrect GPS information played a part too, but Reuben wholly and completely accepts this was his fault. The root cause was definitely a failure on my part in terms of uh, planning. I had a plan. I didn't stick to it, and when I changed from that plan, which we sometimes have to do for various reasons, I didn't cross-check uh, adequately to ensure that I was going to remain uh, outside control airspace. In this video, we'll examine Ruben's failings, but his case also gives us an opportunity to highlight the limitations of GPS moving map applications, especially when altitude is concerned. Yes, they've revolutionized how we plan and execute our flights, but perhaps some of us are relying on them just a little too much. Out the brakes. You're up. Reuben's departure airfield was Fair Oaks, just south of the UK's biggest aerodrome, London Heathrow. 
In fact, the Fair Oaks air traffic zone lies partly within the Heathrow Class D control zone, so Ruben's first job was to climb not above 1,500 feet to stay out of that. So you just departed Fair Oaks there, and you That's were right. rooting through this bit, yep. initially 1,500 feet out of Fair Oaks because of the Heathrow. Below 1,500, yep. Yeah. And then this bit, 1,800, That's right. to be below 2,000, right? That's correct. To Walkerstown. There's a lot of airspace here, isn't there? Well, as, as we go to... Guildford, that's where it goes to 2,500, and then as we go towards Godalming, it goes to 3,500. Because of the complexity of the airspace around here, pilots are advised to either get a service from Farnborough radar, or at least maintain a listening watch on their frequency while using their listening squawk, so they can contact you in the event of a problem. Reuben initially contacted Farnborough, but they told him they were unable to open his flight plan, so he switched to London Information instead, a non-radar flight information service. But what if Farnborough had opened his flight plan and he'd remained on their frequency? I'm deliberately routing close to controlled airspace today to see if using a listening squawk would give me any protection. My call sign is Golf Bravo Mike India Victor. Golf Bravo Mike India Victor, Golf Bravo Mike India Victor, Farmer Radar. Golf Bravo Mike India Victor. Golf Victor, report intentions, controlled airspace west of you, mile and a half. Roger, turning southbound now, uh, routing Littlehampton. Golf India Victor. Uh, Golf India Victor, thank you. Uh, radar just caught up with you in the turn, thank you. We thought that might happen, yeah. If Reuben had been on Farnborough's frequency, as we've just demonstrated, there's a good chance they would have been able to prevent his infringement. So what exactly did he do wrong, and what part did his GPS reception play in the whole event? Reuben's plan was to remain below 2,500 feet until reaching the Midhurst VOR. That's because he'd noted that on his route, the base of the Class A LTMA had risen to 3,500 feet, but then dropped again very quickly to 2,500 feet. Why didn't you stick to the plan that you, you, you've got? You'd, you'd done the pre-flight planning, you'd worked this out, you knew you couldn't climb until Midhurst, which we're coming up on now. What made you change your mind? I think it was actually like today. It's a beautiful day out there. You can see the, the sea, uh, the coast approaching. Um, and on that day, I thought, oh, I can just start my, uh, my climb early to my cruise altitude, which was planned at flight level 55. Uh, on my way to, uh, to Carl. Before initiating his climb, Reuben checked the virtual radar on his Skydemon moving map. The virtual radar shows the vertical profile of the airspace on your track with your aeroplane superimposed at your present altitude. It's a useful feature because at a glance you can see all the bases of airspace ahead relative to your altitude. The problem was, on Rubens' flight, the GPS information coming from his Sky Echo 2 was under-reading his altitude by more than 1,500 feet. You cross-referenced the virtual radar, which is at the bottom of our screen here, and we can see that shelf that we're just passing now of where it's dropped down, but that's not what you saw on your day. Oh, on this particular flight, the um, moving map software was actually showing that I was almost 2,000 feet lower than my actual uh, altitude, and therefore the aircraft in the moving map um, virtual radar was showing uh, considerably below uh, the basic controlled airspace. And so that visual cross-reference uh, before I commenced that climb early, uh, as I say, I think there was some confirmation bias there where I believed I was going to be below controlled airspace. 
Look for the virtual radar, it confirmed, and um, off the back of that I commence my, my climb, just clipping this bit that we've been through four or five miles um, between 2,500 and 3,000 feet. So your virtual radar was reading the wrong altitude. Do you blame that for the infringement? Uh, not at all. It was definitely my mistake. As you say, I, I had a plan. Uh, I decided to deviate from that plan, which isn't that common in flying. But then I didn't really uh, verify adequately uh, that my new plan was going to keep me out of controlled airspace. Um, the technology, the virtual radar, just uh, had a, an influence, but um, it was my mistake in the first place in uh, not following through on my plan. In its manual, Sky Demon warns that the GPS altitude displayed in its app will not be as accurate as a properly set pressure altimeter. But how many of us knew that the error could be so large? So I've been looking into this a bit more and I've been talking to UAvionics who make the Sky Echo and also Sky Demon. Firstly, let me say this, I'm not trying to do either of these companies down. They're great, their products are good value and they've revolutionised our flying and improved safety, without doubt. But Ruben's case has shown that they do have their limitations, and as pilots, we should be fully aware of them. So let's start with the Sky Echo. On its website here, UAvionics says that Sky Echo uses a high-integrity aviation-certified GPS with fault detection and exclusion, and it's fitted with an integrated barrow altimeter. That would give me confidence as a pilot that I could trust its data, so I asked UAvionics about this and they sent me a statement. They said that Sky Echo is a non-certified carry-on piece of equipment that in the main delivers an accurate lateral GPS source to provide its core function as an ADS-B transceiver. It turns out though in this statement that its barometric altimeter is only used as part of its traffic detection and ADS-B transmission functions. The altitude sent by Sky Echo to Sky Demon and other moving map apps comes from its GNSS receiver. In its statement, UAvionics says that Sky Echo offers no vertical navigation guidance capability, and as with any GPS, vertical accuracy is significantly worse than in the lateral sense. The company says that vertical inaccuracy could be as much as 60 meters or 200 feet. But Ruben's device was under-reading by more than 1,500 feet, and analysis of the data from more than 50 of his flights suggests the errors weren't a one-off. On this, UAvionics says it accepts that taking a carry-on Sky Echo into a largely metal aircraft like the PA-28 means some antenna blanking can occur, and this could affect performance. This requires pilots to remain vigilant and retain their situational awareness of both the airspace and other traffic sharing it with them. Ruben had his Sky Echo positioned on the mid-cabin side window of his Arrow. UAvionics says this isn't ideal. They recommend locating it further forward in the front cabin to improve GPS performance. In concluding their statement, UAvionics states that Sky Echo works exceptionally well in the majority of cases, but performance excursions cannot be ruled out, particularly when in a challenging electronic environment for which it is not optimized. Pilots should always be cognizant of this and where the buck stops. Ruben totally accepts that the buck stops with him, and he doesn't blame Sky Echo nor Sky Demon for his infringement, but the case has been an eye-opener for him.
But how concerned are you that your your Sky Echo was giving Sky Demon information that was more than 500 feet out on that virtual radar? I think it's important for people to be aware of, uh, myself obviously included, as part of our threat and error management. I definitely considered the scenario in which the GPS uh, has failed and there's no position information or altitude information uh, given. That's something I experienced multiple times in flight and is to be expected. I'd never really expected that the information would be partially correct. So, uh, you know, longitudinally correct, but uh, the altitude uh, being incorrect. So how are our devices doing today? We have three of them running, all on the side windows in the back. It turns out that throughout our flight today, they've all been reading the altitude pretty accurately with errors no greater than 100 feet. But if you look closely at the altitude window, you'll notice a coloured triangle. I didn't know what it was until I reread the Skydemon manual. It turns out that the colour of the triangle is an indication of estimated GPS accuracy. The triangle should be blue if the altitude is accurate to within 50 feet. A green triangle means it's accurate to within 100 feet. Yellow if the error could be as much as 150 feet. Orange if it could be up to 250 feet out. And red if the error could be more than 250 feet. We've learned that there's now this, and I didn't know this before reading up on this, there's this little coloured triangle in the corner of the altitude window there, which on mine is green. What colour is yours? Yours is green as well. That's correct. And the pilot aware is green as well. So we, well, mine's now gone blue, so it's even better, even better uh, accuracy, I think, to within 50 feet. Um, now, I wasn't aware of that was there before, and we don't know what that was reading on the day of your flight. It might well have been reading red, showing it was well out of, of accuracy. But... What do you think about that? Is, is that enough, do you think, to be told as a pilot that that vertical information is, is inaccurate? Yeah, so in, in flight, I would refer to the altimeter shown in, uh, in Skydeam, and, and I've not really looked at that uh, flag before uh, in terms of checking the GPS accuracy. But the virtual radar is obviously using that uh, a GPS reported altitude in determining your relationship with controlled airspace. And uh, in that piece of the view, uh, that information regarding the GPS ac accuracy and signal integrity is, is not displayed. And you think it, it should be more obvious? I think that would certainly help. Yeah, I mean, you think if it was 500 feet out, it would show on there, you can't rely on this bit yeah. of the screen, right? And also, you know, um, we rely on these airspace alerts, these warnings that come up. Now, that wouldn't have worked either. That's correct. So I've been in touch with Skydemon about this to see why the warnings aren't more prominent in the app. Tim Dawson from Skydemon told me that displaying GPS accuracy is hard and there's no good way to do it. He says, if a GPS chipset actually knew how inaccurate it was being, it would of course correct itself and no longer be inaccurate. iOS and Sky Echo both hand us a vertical accuracy or vertical figure of merit value calculated from their GNSS inputs, he says. These are what produce the coloured flags shown in Skydemon's altitude display, but they cannot be relied upon as particularly useful. Tim says the reason we display the flag is because the data exists, but the reason it isn't more prominent is that the data is not very useful. Anecdotally, Tim Dawson says, I've seen altitude figures reported with a high confidence value, a blue flag, but that differed from actual altitude by over 1,000 feet. This is why cross-checking of GPS altitude is always essential. 
So some fascinating information from both UAVionics and Skydemon there. In my experience, the altitude derived from the GPS receiver is usually extremely accurate and I have to say that this has led me to put my trust in it and let's face it we're all relying quite heavily now on these devices in the cockpit. But Ruben's experience is a salutary reminder that we need to tread very very carefully. So how did Ruben get on with the CAA? They take infringements very seriously and can suspend a pilot's license in the more serious cases. You cooperated with the CAA, yes. you held your hands up and I mean admirably so you know one could have gone on a big rant about how the electronic conspicuity device the sky demon was displaying incorrect information and that influenced your decision but you didn't you you owned up to it and you you got a, a, a satisfactory response in your view what's your what's your feeling about how that whole process uh, worked worked like so I was obviously very concerned when I got the, uh, the initial notification and uh, the worst thing I think you could do is to start Googling. Uh, <laughs> as to what might happen next. As to what might happen next. Um, but I thought it was really important to firstly respond in a timely manner and secondly be as factual as possible in providing the information as to uh, what had happened. Um, and that's really how I approached it. Uh, I, I really wanted to uh, lead with the facts and um, unfortunately they, they pointed to uh, my, my personal error in, uh, in, in planning. And how was the CAA with you? Because you, you asked for a conversation on the phone with them as well. Um, how did that go and, and, and what would you, how would you sum up your, your feeling about how they approached it? The conversation with the CAA was actually very good and the purpose of the conversation was actually to raise awareness around the issues I'd seen with the reporting of the GPS altitude on the moving map software, not really to discuss my specific case. Um, so I probably had a, uh, it was about a half an hour phone call with them. Uh, it was actually arranged very quickly uh, within two days of me requesting it. And both uh, participants from the CAA uh, were both knowledgeable and uh, uh, it was a very uh, positive and engaging conversation. There's no comeback on you. You've been sent a letter, which uh, probably says something like, don't do that again. <laughs> yes. Um, to cut a long story short, but no regulatory action against you. A mark on your file, um, but no regulatory action against you. And you presumably are very happy with that. Yes, but I would have also been happy to have done the course uh, if they had required some retraining. Um, I, I signed up for courses voluntarily. I think it's actually a good thing to continue to um, uh, learn as pilots, um, but yes, yeah, so obviously very relieved that they, they did take the uh, case further. Nice view of Gatwick. Yeah. If you want to reduce the risk of busting airspace yourself, and let's be honest, it's something we're all concerned about, why not take the free infringement avoidance course on the Flying Reporter Ground School? The Ground School is powered by Easy PPL and you can access it through my website. The link is on the screen and in the video description. Pilots with many hundreds of hours say they found the course useful and being free, there really is no reason not to take a look. Golf into Victor, final runway 07 right to land. Golf into Victor, continue approach. Continue approach, Golf into Victor. 
I'm really grateful to Ruben for agreeing to appear in the video and sharing his story with all of us. Please be kind to him in the comments. He does really accept his failings and isn't trying to deflect from his responsibility. I think it's been really helpful for him to share his experience with us. My thanks to UAvionics and Sky Demon for engaging with me on this as well. Once again, please don't think I'm bashing either product, quite the contrary. Drop into Victor, runway 07 right, Southwind 01012 knots, clear to land. Clear to land, runway 07 right, Golf into Victor. By the way, if you're new to using Sky Demon or you just want to know how to get the most out of it, my friend James Lee from Buddies Aviation runs both face-to-face -face and online sessions. He has over 3,000 hours experience using it across the UK and Europe. You can contact him through his website. That is where we'll leave things for now. Until next time, fly safely, my friends. Well, many thanks to John and to Ruben for allowing us to rebroadcast this interview. You can find more about John's work uh, by going onto his YouTube channel and searching for The Flying Reporter. Or you can go to his website, www.johnhunt, that's J-O-N, johnhunt, or one word, dot net. Well, I found that absolutely fascinating as a non-pilot, but uh, luckily we've got a couple of GA pilots uh, in the uh, in their various studios uh, al obviously uh, but also been joined by armando as well so i'd be very interested to hear you fellas uh, opinion on, on what you've just seen would you like to go first sir uh well i'll tell you what um i when i was flying ga over there in the uk it was completely new to me it is like some of the people have mentioned in the chat room it is incredibly complicated um, I think it has to be the way it is, right? Uh, I'll, you know, I'll defer to you on that because it is such a um, geographically small space and you don't want to exclude anyone. So at least, uh, glasses half full, at least there are avenues for general aviation to exist in the London area. And um, it was hard for me to understand, like most of our controlled airspaces here are the same shape, right? They're either circles or squares. Uh, yours looks like some kind of like Rorschach test, like it's all weird <laughs> and weird designs. And uh, I relied incredibly heavily on Sky Demon, and I had a Stratus device, or maybe I had a one a Bad Elf when I was over there. But it was the same thing, right? It was I relied incredibly heavily on on Sky Demon here in the U.S. It is entirely possible. So our biplane that we just got, it's an experimental biplane. There is nothing that says that I have to have any kind of avionics other than an iPad with, uh, hang on, my dog's going crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, so you, I could theoretically have an iPad with a Stratus or a Stratex or a Echo and that be my primary, my primary. Um... I say it's uh, it's. Matt, good to... you're going to have to edit that out. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave it in. Leave it's, it that one. Perfect. I'll tell you what. While what, just to sort of uh, Armando, Al, if you want to, see, yeah, see, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you want to just sort of pick up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know exactly where Armando is coming from there. So, uh, particularly in Rubens part of the world, uh, the airspace is very complex, both uh, laterally 
uh, and uh, vertically. Um, what I do want to say, though, before we carry on, is that I absolutely raise my hat to Ruben. Mm. Um, it is a lot of embarrassment and bravery to go public with a mistake, and yeah. that's simply what it was. It was a minor error of judgment. Um, you know, nobody was, you know, harmed or hurt in, in his infringement. Of course, we can all speculate about what could have been, yeah. but let's base this on facts. So to come forward and not only to go, yes, I totally put my hands up to it, that was me, and to basically take, you know, the rap, mm. and I'm pleased to say that the CAA have acted very appropriately and mm. uh, have dealt with this in the manner that we'd want them to deal with it. And that has been uh, my experience in dealing with other infringements. Um, so good news from the regulator, good news from Ruben's point of view, mm. and to be applauded because his sole purpose in tying up with John uh, in this video, in as much as I can see, is to prevent other people from making the same mistake Absolutely. that he has. Now, this isn't just bumbling into someone else's airspace. We have created, if you like, a reincarnation in UK GA, GA pilots of pilots of the magenta. We have encouraged the use of technology we have encouraged the use of Sky Demon and the other products, which are very, very good. Mm. And Tim Dawson and his team needs congratulations for producing a product that is accessible and affordable. But what we haven't done is we haven't taught people the downsides of the technology and how to use it in an appropriate way mm. and shown people the pitfalls. So when we go out in our car and we follow our sat-nav, it's probably less common these days, but if you remember when Tom Tom and the like first came out, not a week would go by without a photo of someone in their car in a river because they followed the sat-nav <laughs> down the lane and into the river. The yes. sat-nav said, go straight ahead. I did, and now I'm in a stream. And or now I'm swimming. Field. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So, what what you know Ruben has come forward and he's discovered what is basically known by industry to be a failing of the technology mm. okay portable gps devices are very good in the in the horizontal sense but they're not so good in the vertical sense and he's come forward he's highlighted it and hopefully if this video and Ruben's honesty and integrity yeah displaying the true values of just culture, which is something that's very prevalent in commercial aviation, prevents someone else from making the same mistake, then I hope that person buys Reuben a beer, because I certainly will be. Will yeah. be. Um, and I know that Reuben's coming for quite a lot of flack from keyboard warriors, um, and quite frankly... I don't know any pilot, including myself, who has never made a mistake. Absolutely. That's what we're talking about here, a mistake. Yeah. And the people who say, I've never made a mistake, should never be allowed near a cockpit of an aeroplane. Or a car. They are opinion. the people who would not do 
the honourable thing that Rubin's done. Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, we all know what a cesspit that the world of social media uh, can be. Um, it's, as many of those who, who know me well will know, that social media is something I stay, stay well clear of. Uh, to be brutally honest, my own mental health, um, to stop me from doom scrolling, as they call it, because, you know, we, we, we all, you know, are prone to sort of be in bad places, like headwise and that, and, you know, social media is one of those things that I do away from it. And I'm just... This is what makes me so angry about that, as you say, that you've got... I'm going to call them idiots, because I don't know what else to call them, frankly, um, who That's are... That's the polite word for the one that I wanted to use. <laughs> OK, fair enough, absolutely. Um, but, you, you know, as you say, to put himself out there, to make himself... Uh, let, let's be honest here, let's to make himself vulnerable in a public forum uh, is not something we see very on very very often with such honesty and i for one um as i'm sure we all agree here i mean i i i want to do that um to thank ruben absolutely amazing um that he had the courage to go forward uh to sort of share his experience uh in public and i'm very sad that the idiots on social media think it's okay to you know lambast somebody for for their honesty now, Amanda, have you tamed the beasts? I think so. I think they've been uh, put down stairs. Put down stairs. <laughs> I was gonna say, oh my! I, I was going to say I know you're American, but I was going to say I got that. That's a little excessive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, they're they're fine. You you know you throw a, a steak at them, and a raw steak, and they're fine. Lovely. Uh, or or like some of those day old chickens that you flew, pal. Yes. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, was that the leftover flight? The, the day old chickens. <laughs> I, I tell you what, when you when you fly a thousand day old chicks, you appreciate how much heat day old chicks generate, <laughs> and you've got to keep them cool because they generate a lot of heat. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I I sky echo everything that uh, Al said. I said it uh, at the beginning when I had my little check-in video there, and I, I also tip my hat to Ruben for going out there and and putting himself out there. Um, there are a lot of YouTube personalities in aviation that are very very popular and they do the same they own up to them to their mistakes you know we had trent palmer who owned up to, to his mistakes joe costanza who who produces some outstanding uh, video content on youtube uh, or on instagram his uh, call not call sign what do you call it on instagram his handle is uh, bananas Hashtag with a bunch of s's or whatever it is, yeah yeah like all of these guys have been turned in by internet rangers believe it or not um really for yeah because they're watching a video that has been edited and they have been turned in by somebody and the faa here in the u.s has no choice but to yeah uh investigate right and i think matt you and i were talking about that when you were here we, yeah we and, were and it, it just is it, it's incredible to me that people get on the internet and they have nothing to do but watch videos and then and then just i don't know just comment in such a i don't know just a vicious way like we're people too and, and like al said everybody's made mistakes i i literally just made a, a huge mistake uh, on my biplane flight the other day um just because i got out of my routine and and you know it wasn't catastrophic but it certainly could have damaged something on the airplane so we are we are all always 
making um, mistakes. And and the day you think you're not making mistakes, like Al said, you don't belong there. No, no, indeed, indeed. Well, uh, Mash has got the show title for tonight's yes, show. I saw that. <laughs> Somebody WhatsApp that, that WhatsApp that to me now because I'm not going to do time, that. I'm not going to do that. By the time I come out here, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Captain Al and the Hot Chicks is the uh, is the show title for uh, this week. It would seem. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Absolutely, indeed. Uh, well, as I say, we could go on and on about it. I think we all uh, have a great deal of respect for for Ruben. Uh, uh, nicely produced uh remind me who that's i'd not come across at the flying reporter wasn't it nev yeah it's a fellow called uh, john hunt uh, john mm. was formerly a uh, news uh, correspondent mm. for one of the uh, southern area television companies um and he left the bbc a while ago and has been producing uh, these videos uh, mm. full time now and also uh, john himself actually when he makes a mistake he often does a video about it as well yeah. so indeed um, top marks to him as well Absolutely. Uh, well, um, I think while we've got our Mondo, um, <laughs> what have you been up to? <laughs> it was a much faster flight than I thought it was going to be. I didn't think I was going to make the show at all, but uh, it was actually only 18 minutes home. <laughs> so wow. when, when between the beginning of the show, uh, I got the airplane ready, got the APU running, did a flight home, put the airplane to bed, and then drove home and still made it by the end of the show so wow love that love that it's, uh, that sounds almost as long as the flight i had yeah it's about the same yeah. exactly about the same <laughs> um now i did a lot lots of flying as you guys know I actually just yesterday i took the pilatus the pc12 ng back down to key west and uh, so that was three hours down three hours back I uh, got to take a, a, one of my skydive pilots, actually, one of the guys that I trained up last year, uh, got to finally put him in the right seat of uh, Pilatus. We were going down at 28,000 feet, and it was just a, a gorgeous day. Came back at night, um, so he got to that, see that. Is that one of the lovely guys I got to meet at the fly-in? Um, Juan, yeah, exactly, yeah. Juan Sebastian. Yeah. yeah and he's been on the show. He did a little interview for us a couple months ago on the yeah. show. He, he and uh, his family were there, weren't they? It was a, it was a lovely to meet him. Yeah. Yep. Actually, Carlos got to meet him at when we got to meet yeah. up with Captain Jeff. Furry. Yeah. Ah, yeah. nice. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, well, moving on, we've got, got still got some bits to get through on oh, the show. We? Oh, okay. We have. We've got the <laughs> caption this uh, on the show this week. I'm, I'm sure Captain Al is going to have fun with the caption oh, oh. Uh, this just for fun this week. Uh, Nev, what what is the uh, picture all about this week with the caption this? Uh, it's toilets uh, on an aircraft replacing passenger seats. I <laughs> uh, that's the best description I can come up with. Well, whether they are real toilets or just, um, you know, uh, models only. But I, I don't, um, does it matter? <laughs> it, it didn't that's a great idea. It didn't prevent the most fantastic response we've ever had yeah. uh, to the caption. So what I want to know is, this airline, have they just put a regular passenger seat in what would be the lavatory? <laughs> <laughs> Great point. Hey, I actually have one of those in the, in the hawker. Uh, there's a, it's a belted seat in the lav. Love it. Uh, <laughs> is that the uh, configuration is is two by two, or should that be number two by two? Oh, oh, oh it started already. It's... <laughs> and we'll start with uh, Nick, Captain, our very own Captain Nick, says, 
Incontinental remain one of the favourite airlines for saga holidays. Oh dear. <laughs> uh, who's that. just next, chap, uh, Matt? Uh, I haven't got it in front of me, I'm afraid. Oh, no. Uh, Not out of help. Uh, Armando. Uh, Canal sorry, here. sorry, okay. I don't have the show notes either. Go ahead, Al. <laughs> okay. Uh, so apparently this is from someone called uh, Neville Bounds. Never heard of him. And uh, he's come forward with these noise-cancelling headphones are a little unusual. <laughs> I mean, they're very padded. They are. They look very good. Well, yeah, but no, in the wrong bit. <laughs> uh, our local, one of our local listeners, Paul Tricker, says, in an unusual gutsy move, Ryanair have upgraded their aircraft cabins from economy class to bog standard class. Aww. Looks like a ripper of an idea. That's officially rubbish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nick Codling says, uh, for European travellers with a more delicate constitution, oh. the introduction of new in-cabin toilets was a welcome move en route returning from India. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sturman is saying, passengers prepare for a crappy landing. <laughs> Al? Uh, oh, this is from uh, someone called Sue Bounds. <laughs> Uh, to stop queues forming in the galley by the toilet, everyone now has their own commode seat. I think that's very practical, if I'm honest. Very practical. <laughs> very British. Indeed. Absolutely. Uh, Mel, uh, uh, Sturman's uh, lovely wife, Mel. Better half, better half. Better half yeah, yeah. Uh, says, ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts. We are experiencing slight turbulence. Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, Robert, uh, some guy called Rob, Rob Mark, never heard of him. Uh, clearly, this is Donald Trump's 757. Ooh. <laughs> all political. Ooh, it's all kicking off. Uh, <laughs> oh, is this the Bob Harris, by the way? Just asking. No, it's not. No, it's the. Uh, <laughs> not that one, but uh, one of my industry colleagues uh, who says low cost, eco friendly methane powered flats. Well, there we go. Quite the event. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Bill, uh, Bill says Ryan Scare is flushed with excitement to announce their new crappy class cabin. Uh, Talking Head said passengers often said our cabin and our service was <clears throat> rubbish. Crap. Uh, crap. So we are addressing those comments. Indeed, quite. Uh, Stephen Hitchin is saying for when it's fish on the menu. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, Kevin says I told you every seat choice was crap. Oh. <laughs> Is there any word I could use? No, quite, indeed. You've done very well. Yes, absolutely. It could be scat, I suppose. We should be grateful for that. No, uh, no, don't. No, don't, no, don't, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. No. Uh, abort, abort. <laughs> Sorry. Al, Al, over you. I, I thought it was my job to lower the tone in yes. the show. Yeah, yeah. Things have changed a lot since you were on last, Al. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, Jason, uh, you've got. Yeah, this is from Jason. Uh, Ryanair's new O'Leary class. <laughs> Richard King saying, uh, now everyone can log flying hours in their logbook. <laughs> uh, Dari says, uh, definitely, definitely, oh, this is good, definitely a no smoking flight. <laughs> Quite. Mm. Oh, Sinead is a bit um, on the Yeah, Sinead point. says, uh, <laughs> Team IBS, team building trip. Oh. <laughs> That's quite bad. <laughs> Al. <laughs> uh, 
from Stuart Thomas then. Would you like a 1A or a number 2A? <laughs> eh? <laughs> and finally, Richard King is saying, low-cost airline taking the... Yes. Out of their passengers. <laughs> it's safe to say this week's... Uh, Indeed. Cash- is is definitely one of our, our best I think since we started this. So well done everyone who's uh, contributed. Well, have we got any in the uh, chat room there, by the way, Nev? Let's have a look. <laughs> uh, got a bit bogged down in the chat room, I think. Ah, you <laughs> see, ah. yeah. Uh, Aaron P is saying someone passed the toilet roll. Um, <laughs> Richard Adams says first business economy and then third class. <laughs> That's my personal favourite. Captain Cruz, why are these two toilet seats on each toilet? Uh, why are there two toilet seats on each toilet? Uh, one lifted up, one already down. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Bill's, Bill's comment in the chat room, <laughs> we can't mention due to um, Nev, in, Nev infringements. Oh, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not going to say that. Uh, no. Uh, oh, oh, OK. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think I see one from Captain... Um... Captain Jeff that says just arrived at my destination, Richmond, Virginia. Oh, never mind. Oh, that's not in relation to the toilets. Yeah. Uh, oh, never mind. Oh wow. Okay. Never mind. I'm from Virginia. If you're from Richmond, I love you. I'm from Virginia. You know what I'm talking about. Don't forget every Wednesday we pop a picture on our Facebook page for you to leave your witty comments on as you've all done this week. And don't forget to keep your eyes on our social medias. More info on them at the end of the show. Now, Nev, it's time for you. Oh. <laughs> it is. It's a little stinger that you play at this point. Oh, I see. Oh, my goodness me. Right. Okay. Yes, here we go. <laughs> Yes, so last week um, we went to Grand Canaria. Very nice. Lovely. It is too. 28 degrees. Very pleasant. God's uh, country. Beautiful part of the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, this meant going from London Gatwick Airport. Oh, not my, oh I am sorry. usual one, but, you know, it's, it's still okay for the most part. Um, I believe the lounge there is quite decent, isn't it? it well, I was about to say that, actually. The, the, the lounge job that they've done there is very nice indeed, and actually much better. Did you better. just manage to slip job in to link the two stories? Yes. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of that, I think, in the next <laughs> um, But uh, the aircraft that we were going to go on was an A320, but that had gone tech, so uh, they had put an A321. Uh, CEO on which was uh, very nice very strong headwinds um, down to the Canary Islands so more than four hours 20 actually flying oh, wow, which, okay. was, which was a, a lot um, however uh, I think that the baggage handling department thought they were loading an A320 rather than an A321 as they managed to get the whole thing terribly out of trim according to the uh, flight deck crew and this re- resulted in moving lots of bags around um and passengers as it turned out as well towards oh, the no. back of the aircraft um but it was a full load um more or less um but i'm surprised that they could manage to do that presumably an a320 and a321 does have different weight and balance al uh yeah so the 320 is uh loaded in the front hold by preference and the 321 in the rear hold 
but they're very very different loading strategies yes well obviously the ground handling folks had forgotten that bit so they had to do oh. a lot of uh, mucking about so there's a bit of a uh, bit of trouble there towards the back of the aircraft with a, a few people uh, not very happy um great holiday so that was marvelous um was it a Euroflyer flight it was yes so that's the so this did is did you the notice new... a difference not that much no it was just like a ba crew on a ba aircraft actually um i didn't see any difference at all the, the meal offerings were, were nice um on the way back um Again, ground handling weirdness. Uh, as the first officer point out, pointed out, well, we've been ready for an hour up here, and they're still mucking about loading the aircraft. Oh, really? Again, an another A321, because the original A320 had gone uh, US. So that was a bit of a nuisance. Um, unfortunately, it was spoiled a little bit by um, a millennial type um, coming onto the aircraft, um, because they had because this air, other aircraft had gone tech and um, so instead of actually putting this person up overnight in a hotel they managed to get her back on the same flight because we're on A321 which was great and uh, her opening gambit to the in-flight lead w was I just thought very rude and she says why have you changed my seat from uh, 9C to 17C and they oh, said wow. well it's because uh, in order to get you back tonight, uh, we've had to move people around. I've paid for this seat, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, that's absolutely fine. We'll, we'll deal with that. Um, and I'll give you the details to write to BA about. Um, but it just really winds me up when the opening gambit of this sort of attitude um, is the entitlement. And uh, the, the other situation would have been that she would have been left in a hotel overnight and had to you know make new arrangements for the next day which may not have worked for her so um yeah i, I thought that was a bit a bit poor and mm. mrs never thought so as well um but uh having said that the flight back was phenomenally fast um the jet stream i think was particularly low so it was about a three hour three hour 25 on the way back which was very speedy indeed um which was great. So um, and so that actually made up for a lot of the hour that we oh, okay. were delayed. So um, it wasn't we were only about 15 minutes late in the end, uh, which was marvellous. Um, but I guess that can happen now, can't it, from the Canaries, where you've got strong headwinds in one direction and, and all the wind behind you in the other direction. Uh, yes, um, those jet streams that have come across the Atlantic and then are taking a sudden dive down towards Africa um it can be uh, definitely a, a problem and actually the jet streams have been quite strange over the last sort of few weeks mm. stroke uh, months so uh, yeah I, i'm not surprised i've done quite a few flights where um there's been an hour's difference on relatively short flights between flying east and flying west really yeah oh gosh so I did a flight, I can't remember where, but somewhere in Central Eastern Europe and uh, the the flight out was two and a half hours and the flight back was three and a half hours. I mean, I guess that's, I mean, there's always a bit of a sort of like, there's like if you go to the States, isn't there, there's quite often yes. a, a bit of a, you know, it's always quicker going than it is coming home, for example. Or is it the other way around? I'm never sure. The other way around. The other way around, okay, thank you. <laughs> Anyway, so that was uh, that was my rant 
for this week. But uh, apart from all that, it was a very pleasant holiday, although, as I said earlier, if, if you were listening, that um, the 28, 29 degrees was soon brought home to reality <laughs> when I flew up to Aberdeen on uh, Monday morning for a six degree temperature. Back, back to the real world. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Hello. competition time. It's where we announce the winner. This is where we guess how much I spent at Frankie and Benny's in Glasgow <laughs> Airport this week. Yes, let's play that game. <laughs> no, Al, unfortunately, it's the winner of these lovely cards. Because I had a dirty dog. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> oh, dear. Honestly. So you're trying to sell your safety cards. Sorry, Carlos, carry on. Sell them. We don't, we don't sell on this show, Al. We give away stuff. We give away on this show. Uh, Nev, obviously you are our competition guru. What's, um, oh, what's going BTUK on this I thought BTUK was some sort of offshoot of QVC. Sorry, Al. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar. Well, Why not? Yeah, well, this week's giveaway is three pristine Astraeus flight safety cards uh, from the Boeing 737-300-700 and the Boeing 757-200. So that's a great Possibly addition. fondled by Bruce himself. That, that, Possibly. <laughs> you've now given away the answer. But that, <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's, that's okay, Al, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't actually completely... <laughs> no, indeed you haven't. And, and, and you're, a, you're a, an astute guy. You can come up with a new question in the 30 <laughs> seconds that I'm going to ramble for. Well, don't worry. We're OK. I think we, we've covered it off here. But uh, anyway, more importantly, though, special thanks to li our listener, Richard Flagg, for mm. donating the cards as a prize, which was uh, brilliant. So the question was, which legendary rock star was a pilot for Astraeus Airlines? Of course, the answer uh, was Bruce Dickinson from the band Iron Maiden. And in the London uh, Biggin Hill uh, airport. Uh, uh, have you, have you, well, Nev is fumbling through the, the uh, bits there. Uh, fondling, fondling the bits. Have you, uh, have you met Mr. Dick, uh, Dixon? I have actually. I've met him three times in total. Mm. Um, uh, and a genuinely nice guy. I sat next to him on the uh, the staff bus at Manchester on a couple of occasions and then bumped him into him in a pub. Oh, oh. even better. Now we're talking. I was going to say. Love that. That's definitely the way forward. Uh, right. Okay. Right. Here we go. Well, we have a winner, of course. Do so we? I'm okay. Here we go. Picked a winner. Uh, and it is Captain Cruz. Ooh. The winner. So, if you can just send me your... Um, Address. Bank details. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> uh, we will get those posted out to you, um, and I'll send you an email later on. Uh, now, we've got uh, this week's question as well, and uh, it's a great prize, I have to say, uh, but an, an, I think quite an interesting question. It's a Concord question, and the question is, how much did each of the seven final production Concords cost British Airways that they purchased. Ooh. How much did each of the seven final production Concords cost British Airways that they purchased? Now, um, 
Uh, Matt's got a couple of uh, graphics here, hopefully, uh, because the prize is Mike Bannister's superb audiobook all about Concord, uh, which I've bought and I've listened to it twice now. It features 48 separate chapters plus an epilogue and it runs for nearly 13 hours. It oh, also wow. contains 22 PDF pages all about Mike's aviation journey into the left-hand seat of the aircraft. Uh, it's, narr it's narrated by Mike himself. And I have to say, it's one of the best audio books that I've ever bought, and it was published by Penguin Audio. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share that with whoever uh, wins that competition next week and send you a link to the Wonderful. book. Wonderful. Yeah, Love that. Um, now, that's so really quick. interesting that you've chosen to do that because, hmm. and if I can make the technology work here, this might be quite interesting. I took a photo of Concorde in flight this week. What? Hang on. So, as you may be able to see, I've changed my virtual background. Okay. And if I remove myself, there it is. Oh. It's a Concord shaped cloud. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there well, you, there go. you go. Amazing Who's the things we see in the sky, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, genuinely, myself and the first officer looked at this cloud and went, that's Concord. Quite clearly, it's not. It's a cloud. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yes, but there it is. <laughs> anyway, so that question again. How much did each of the seven final production Concords cost British Airways that they purchased? So you've got to send your answer to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and we shall draw the winner out in next week's show. Mm. Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Get your answers in. Indeed. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. So we're going to start to wrap up the show, but uh, obviously we can't go without, uh, you know, saying a big thanks to Al for joining us this evening. Captain Al. Uh, thank you very much for having me in the non-biblical sense, uh, for inviting me on the show and uh, allowing me to partially ruin it, as I've not at been all. used to doing. That's uh, my job uh, now, Al. Well, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, when you do a quick troll of Wikipedia later, you'll see exactly where it's gone wrong. Yeah, quite. Oh, really? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but um, indeed, um, so this may be slightly premature, but I would like to take this opportunity to wish you all and all of the listeners and viewers, a very happy Christmas. Oh, no, 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 no. It's far too early for that. <laughs> oh, goodness me, <laughs> Because no. I fear that my next few weeks are going to be somewhat busy moving aeroplanes um, around the world, that I'm not going to get a chance to see you all live before then, mm -hmm. and a safe, healthy, and prosperous new year. So from me, it's ciao for now. Ah, oh, thank you, Al. Appreciate that. Really nice. And Armando, thanks for uh, tuning in there for the last part of the show. Good to, good to get you back on. Of course. It's always uh, a treat when I get to join you guys. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love and it. Uh, Nev, as always, well done. Good to see you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, week. great to see you, Al. And thanks for joining us today. Absolutely fascinating speaking with you, as always. And also a big thanks to Matt in the studio for doing his glorious job as always in there and not forgetting as well our uh, our team as well john and nick as well 
for uh, all the work behind the scenes that goes on on putting the show together. Indeed. So we'll be back next Friday, all being well. And hopefully Armando will be back to join us next Friday as well. Uh, so stay tuned. And, uh, well, from me here in the home studio, from Matt in the PTK Master Suite Studios, from Nev in his glorious studios there, from Al in his studio in the sky with the Concord Cloud, and from <laughs> Armando as well. Have He's a great weekend. He's speaking to his lawyer as we, uh, uh, literally as we speak. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone, and uh, take care. We'll see you next Friday. Say goodbye, Al. Bye.